0: Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. Well, Zig Ziglar um, has said in the past you were designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with the seed, seeds of greatness. You know, the reality is that there is potential that is lying in every single human heart. There is potential, but, you know, potential stays potential unless you can actually get that potential out of you, don't you? How many times have you sort of seen someone and said, man, there's a lot of potential in that guy. And you fast forward down the track and you're saying, there's a lot of potential in that guy. Another year or two goes, there's a lot of potential in that guy. The guy turns out and, and, and you know what, something happens and, and they go, well, you know what, that guy had a lot of potential. It, there's this tense that can kind of happen. You have a lot of potential to, Man, he had a lot of potential. And potential can kind of run away from us really, really fast. From the youngest of age, we can see a little baby as they come into the world. And you see, there's a lot of potential there. We were just with our uh, my youngest um, my young nephew um, yesterday, and his name is Isaiah. And uh, my youngest brother had a baby, which is still freaking me out because I know my brother. How can you look after a little baby? <laughs> It's like, oh, my goodness. But 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 we're holding it, and Andrew is holding the little Isaiah, and, and, and we're starting to see this little personality starting to come out, starting to see the smiles and, and all that. And he's like, wow, there's so much potential in that child. And I know there's a lot of potential in that child because, man, that child, wow, that child's amazing. Um, but then, you know, babies, as soon as they come out, they want to move, don't they? You know, it's like they, they start wriggling and then sooner or later they start crawling, and then they get to their feet and then it is all over. You lose your child in the shopping center because they have run off because they want to go. And, and it seems from the youngest of ages that they, they, the humans are, they have it inside of them that they want to go. They want to explore. They want to head out. They don't want to stay put, but they want to go. And um, I mentioned last week that when I was in school, I was taught a life lesson, which I didn't understand at the time. But it was this life lesson that when you actually, before you go into a race, they actually say, ready, set, go. Don't they? Ready, set, go go and those three words actually have the power to actually take that potential that is inside of every human and actually extract that potential and appropriate that potential to actually change the world the issue is we love to go because going's really exciting isn't it yeah. going's all about pioneer i mean who doesn't want to explore and pioneer seriously who doesn't want to go and like sort of check this out and check this out going's really easy Ready, we don't really like that because ready is all about preparation. Who really likes preparation? Preparation sucks because you're idle, you know? How many many people love it? You know, I'm going to go one day. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. But right now, I need to prepare. You don't have that much enthusiasm for preparation. Or even set. Set's another one of those words. I think set is a word all about discipline. You know, you're ready, but you've got to set yourself If you don't set yourself right, you might run in this direction instead of that direction. You need to set yourself, don't you? Ready, set, and then you go. But we live in a world that wants to go and does not value being ready and being set. But what we find in the life of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is a life, it's an example in the Word of God given to us thousands and thousands of years ago of a man who actually embraced ready, set, go. And I think that there is some wisdom there that we can appropriate for our life. So I've got a truckload of stuff that I want to share with you. And um, I've tried to condense it down. um, But there's a lot of wisdom that if we take some of this stuff, it's actually going to change your life. It will, change. I will get, it, will get, it will change your life. And um, I would encourage you, make sure you download the podcast after this and listen to it again, because there are just some things that Scripture would actually try to inform us of if we actually want to go out and change the world for God. All right? So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2 and just 12 verses, 1 to 12. So the Scripture will be up on the screen. If you have it on your phone, open up your Bible app. Um, Otherwise, if you have a Bible, let's hear the pages of the Bible. Anyone still hold like one of these? Yeah, okay, let's hear those pages as they kind of open up. (laughs) Verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What do you want? Then I prayed to the Lord, to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so so that they will provide me a safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests." So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat and Horonite, uh, Horonite <laughs> and Toby of the Abonite official, official heard about this, they were very much disturbed um, that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. We're going to go through a couple of wisdom, things of wisdom about this whole idea of being ready, being set, and going. And we're going to go them pretty fast. So if you have notes, take some notes. Otherwise, as I said, read the podcast. And the first thing I want to talk about is something that we don't value in the world today, but I want to talk about the importance of time. Time is really, really important. Time is something that we often do not think about. Time is something that we live in this world right now, and we would use rhetoric and language like, I'm so time poor. And because we use language like that, it actually creates a system or a culture that actually means that we actually despise the idea of something taking time. But things actually do take time, you know. I would much rather have a piece of amazing, like just something that's been cooking for hours and hours and hours and hours and just getting soft and succulent and, and just dripping with just juice. Like, oh my goodness. I do these amazing pork ribs. They are incredible. It takes three hours to get them right. I don't do them that often because I don't have three hours, but it takes three hours. Can you imagine if I took those porcaps and chucked them in the microwave for like ten, like five minutes? They would be wrecked. But we live in a world that doesn't appreciate time. Verse 1 says this, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, the wine was brought before him. Nehemiah had initially heard the news of the predicament of this people in the month of Kislev. That means absolutely nothing to us. But what we need to know is that the time between Kislev. And Nisan is four months. Four months. Nehemiah hears something. It breaks him. And he is praying continually for four months. Time. 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 Four months. Four months. Nehemiah is wrestling with something for four months. Time. Time. And during this time, this is what's really interesting and something that we don't get in this society. Get this. It, it, it's four months later, and this is the very first time that the king have seen, has seen that he's sad. This guy has been broken for four months and he still gets on with his job without anyone knowing. How many times do we just want to, we just bleed it over everyone, don't we? That is a sign of immaturity. That is immaturity. For four months, the king had no idea that Nehemiah is broken. For four months, no bleeding. Time is important. Time is important for at least two things. Time is important for forging patience in our life. The unfortunate thing about developing patience is that patience is grown in the soil of delay. Delay. I want the fruit of the Spirit, patience. Yeah, well, expect delay. And like, Jesus, come on, Jesus. Like, surely, can't you see there's an emergency in the world right now? Like, they're talking about World War III right now. And God will say, yeah, but he's not in a rush. And he will not allow us to shortcut Because he will take the appropriate time that he wants. So it's important for patience. But you know what? Even more importantly, I believe, time is important for testing. And this is what's tested, okay? This desire in Nehemiah is tested and it's sifted to the point where we're able to distinguish is is this an ambition of Nehemiah or is this a God-given burden for Nehemiah? It takes time to distinguish. You may see something or I may see something and say, God, you need to do something. But if it becomes ambition, which is rooted in our humanity, it actually, it's all about me. It really is. It's all about me. But if I allow the process to go by, and if I allow the time, and suddenly that thing, and it may have started, maybe this is an ambition, but no, no, no. There's sifting and there, there's forging. And, and over time, God actually reveals and shows and actually forges this God-given burden on someone. Man, then we start doing some stuff. And kingdom work is always done through a burden. Kingdom work is never done through ambition because you start building your own tower, your own little empire. And to be honest, we've got enough churches doing that. Burden. Burden. And here's the thing, right? Burden happens through prayer. It does. The thing that's difficult about prayer, (laughs) prayer seems to be such... It just seems to be so inefficient. Have you ever noticed that? It just seems to be so inefficient. I mean, surely there is work to do. There's things to do. But yet, God will say, I'm asking you to spend hours before me on your knees. What a waste of time. I could be doing this. I could be doing that. No, on your knees. Praying. Inquiring of the Lord. It takes time to inquire of the Lord. It takes, time. It, it, it takes time to allow God to search our hearts. Well, I know for me it does because I know that the heart is deceitful above everything else and, and I could even step out and think this is a God thing, this is a church thing, this is a kingdom thing and I need God to actually search my heart to make sure that this isn't a Dave thing. Because if it becomes ambition, it's not going to have the strength to actually follow it through. But how many times have you seen someone who's carrying a burden or you've read in a history book someone who has a burden and they just keep on going and going and going and they take hit after hit after hit after hit. And they're so consistent and they're so faithful. It's because they're not driven by an ambition. They have a God-given burden. And it was birthed somewhere. It was birthed somewhere. And it doesn't have to be like, a, like in a church setting. Burdens are given to everyone. Everyone. God is the only one who's big enough to carry every single burden that's in the world. He's the only one who's big enough. But what he does do is that he'll give Aaron a burden. He'll give me a burden. He'll give Nathan a burden. He'll give Chitty a burden. He'll give Mum a burden. He'll give every one of us a burden. And collectively, if we actually come to the point where this is a burden, we will actually see many burdens actually being carried. It's a burden. But unless burden is forged, no kingdom work will advance. F.B. Meyer, he said this. (laughs) He said, if Christ waited to be anointed before he went to preach, no young man ought to preach until he too has been anointed by the Holy Ghost. There's something about spending that time, the time of inquiring, the time. On your knees. The time of prayer. I cannot stress enough the importance of prayer. I cannot stress enough the importance of prayer in my life. You may think, oh, Dave's pretty good at speaking. I actually suck. I am not a good communicator. I'm not a great leader. But by the grace of God. But by the grace of God. And I know the most terrifying verse, or one of the most terrifying verses, because there are some scary ones, one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible is when Samson, Delilah, finally figures out and cuts off his hair. Samson goes to sleep, wakes up to take on the Philistines, and it says he did not realize that the Spirit of God had departed. I know that without God, I'm stuffed. And that's the same for all of us. But praise God, we have him. We have him. We have him. I have him. And the thing with prayer is that not, like not, not a question of if we have him, it's like more of does he have us? Does he have more of my heart? Does, does he have more of my thing? You know, so prayer is that. So that's the first thing, the importance of time. You got something that's set in your heart, maybe it was years ago, something that's set in your heart. Make sure you take the time. Yeah, it doesn't look efficient at all, like wasting time. I gotta get on with this God. No. Take the time, take the time. Second thing is opportunity, opportunity. Because opportunities do come, all right? Opportunities to come. And chapter 2 is very much about God opening opportunity for Nehemiah. We read from verse um, 2c to 4, and it says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what is it you want? Opportunity. Notice that Nehemiah is not trying to manipulate opportunity. Opportunity comes. All right? Now, when opportunity comes, there's something that actually happens. And it is true. God opens doors that no man can close. Praise God. Hallelujah. woo But here's the deal. When opportunity does come, It does require risk. Because God may open the door, but you still need to step through. You still need to step through. And when it comes to opportunity, there actually has to be risk. You know, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. He was very much afraid because in that particular moment, the king could have just killed him. This was a matter of life or death for Nehemiah opportunity cannot be manipulated but it comes unsuspecting and on any given day (laughs) you know if if it didn't come in the month of nissan we may be reading that that, that this opportunity came like another four months after you know because nehemiah didn't determine the set day the opportunity was going to come and door was going to be open he's just recording when god actually brought it just happened to be four months you know what it could have been four years could have been four decades what are you going to do in the time what am I going to do in the time this was only four months but it can be more but you know what there is a discipline when it comes to opportunity and that discipline is that during those months years however long it is that is a time of preparation there's a time preparation because when opportunity comes guess what it is too late to prepare it is too late opportunity came two thousand twelve Dave come and lead this church it's a bit too late to go and actually do some Bible study and all it's a little bit too late to learn pastors it's a little bit too late to understand how the church works it's a little bit too late to understand the kingdom it's, it's a bit too late then see during those months years days in between that's when we prepare so opportunity always takes risks here's another thing with opportunity which I i think we could probably really learn from when opportunity comes you need to use wisdom wisdom okay and wisdom is something where a lot of us can easily be taken off the track i just want to read verse three listen to what happens here and i'm going to explain what happens here but i said to the king may the king live forever why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. In this moment, we don't necessarily appreciate it, but Nehemiah is displaying some really advanced cultural wisdom. Okay? Cultural wisdom. Remember, he is an exile. He is in a foreign land, okay? And he is employing wisdom to actually navigate through a world that's unfamiliar to him. And this is what he does. He addresses the king appropriately. May the king live forever. If the king pleases, he says in verse 5, to actually address authority appropriately in order to see kingdom work being done That's a bit of a challenge for us as Christians, isn't it? Well, I'm a child of God. Yeah, but you're living in this world. And get this. You notice, when he actually talks about Jerusalem, he doesn't actually use the word Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because he is respecting the culture of the day. He is using wisdom here. He is using wisdom. He is using wisdom. There are a couple of fellows who got talking, taken into um, exile in the book of Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Daniel's there, obviously. And at the beginning of the chapter, it says that, that they were taken away and they it said they were looking for uh, men who were without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Isn't it funny that God's people get taken to a foreign land where they are expected to actually learn the cultural etiquette, language, that actually pertains to that culture? Even though they come from a different culture, they still need to actually learn about that culture. That's Old Testament. Let's go to New Testament. You ever read about this guy called Paul, the apostle? Right? He goes to Athens one day. We read it in Acts 17, verse 28. And he says some great stuff that we go, Hey, man, praise the Lord. And it is great. And he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Absolutely. Guess what he says. Listen to this. He's talking to... He's in Athens, okay? This is what he says. And some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. Paul knew how to go into a foreign culture and actually advance a kingdom in a foreign culture by respecting that culture. Yes, One of the issues that I have observed, and it may not be true, but it's just an observation and perception from my part, is that, We as the church, we as Christians, have become so familiar with this world that we do not recognize and understand that throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, we are told that we are supposed to live as foreigners in this land. And we jump up and down as if the world needs to actually bow down to our cultural norms instead of being wise enough to actually try to understand where they're coming from so we can actually bring the gospel in we the, the, australia is not a christian nation australia is a secular nation and we are as the body of christ supposed to live as foreigners in this world we are first peter 2 says dear friends i urge you as foreigners and exiles isn't it amazing how he uses that foreigners and exiles we've just been reading about these nehemiah is an exile Daniel is an exile to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among these people so that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on a day he visits us. You know, when opportunity does come, it is imperative that we actually embrace wisdom in those moments. Because you can either win it or lose it in that moment, when that door is open, by absolutely just not giving due respect to the culture of who we're actually trying to reach, okay? There are cultural norms, and it's not just in different countries. You go even in Perth, there's a different culture in Armada as opposed to, like, the western suburbs. Guarantee. Absolutely. And what we need to do is that we need to understand and recognize, okay, we love people, we see brokenness, we see that walls are broken, They're gates, but in order for us to see the kingdom of God come to fruition, yes, it's going to take a God-given burden that comes through prayer and time, but when the opportunity comes, we need to make sure that we are respectful and we use wisdom. The Word of God says to be in the world but not of the world doesn't say to be in the world, but separate from the world. In the world, but not of the world. And that's where wisdom has to come in. And that's going to take some grappling. That's really going to take some grappling. Um, Notice how Paul says, as your poets have said, the creative arts have always been one of the main shapers of culture. Always. So even though there is stuff in creative arts where it's like so much in the creative arts world that is opposed to Christian culture. I still need to be aware of what they're trying to say because they're actually communicating and they are shaping and I need to be aware of that and and, and, and to respect the dialogue that's happening. Because even as we as Christians are grappling with this world, the rest of the world is grappling with the world. And that's where respect and love and actually comes in. But when the opportunity comes, that's when we actually step in appropriately. And we actually bring in our kingdom message. Yeah? Is that okay? Yeah, Have you seen that in Nehemiah before? It's right there in verse 3. Nehemiah 2.4, get this, this is, this is really interesting. Because um, the king says, well, what do you want? The very next thing he says, the king said to me, what, do, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Those quick little sharp prayers I have found in my own life, they are only sufficient and they're only validated and they only really happen if there's been sufficient prayer that's done beforehand, it's not like this thing where you can switch on. I know in my in, personally in my life, and and I think uh, to to some extent I have a great advantage because I've kind of been forced into this thing, um, where it's like I know that I I need to pray, but throughout the day and all that, there will be constant inquiries of God, and I say, okay, what do you reckon, and um, you know but to actually have that you can't you can't just turn that on it actually comes from actually cultivating relationship and prayer with the holy spirit but i find it very interesting that the opportunity comes and immediately there's this awareness of nehemiah no i'm still dependent on god i've been dependent on god for four months so far and like right now i need god i'm dependent on god so that's just a side note next thing when it comes to this the necessity of a plan, the necessity of a plan, the necessity of a plan. Don't need a plan, Dave, I'm just led by the Holy Ghost. Do you realize God actually had a plan before the foundation of the earth? That's what it says, right? (laughs) If you're talking about a plan and you want to be like God, make sure you actually have a plan. Oh my goodness, drives me nuts sometimes. I just got the Holy Ghost, well so do I. Why do you prepare, Dave? Aren't you just led by the Spirit? Yeah, I am. Absolutely. But the Holy Spirit's leading me at the very be- like, uh, like, Like, the Holy Spirit leads. And, and, and we need to actually understand that we do need a plan. And just lying on that sort of thing, that's actually called laziness. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what's up with me today. I had two coffees, maybe that's the reason. But from verse 6 to 8, says this, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. Get this, so I set a time. I also said to him, the king, "If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Transphrates so that I may provide that they may provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park get this, so he will give me timber to make um, make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the church, wall, uh, the city wall." Get this, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Something about a plan. You need to make decisions when you have a plan. The opportunity came, and it was no like ooing and aahing. Right there, in that moment, Nehemiah says, so I set a time. I set a time. You know, sometimes when it comes to leadership, The ones who actually pioneer and progress and all that are usually not the smartest people. But they're the ones who just step out when the time comes. I guarantee you, in this church, I am not the smartest person. Right? I am definitely not the smartest person. I would hope that when we sit in a board meeting, that I'm not the smartest person Around that board. But what I do know is I have wisdom and I have discernment that comes from God, and I know when the opportunity comes and I will make a decision, we will go now. We will go now. Leaders aren't the smartest very often, but a leader is the one who always goes first. Someone always has to go. You can't be sitting ooing oh, and and this needs to be done, that needs to be done. Well, nothing's gonna get done unless someone goes, and you have to set a Time to go, the right time. So, and Nehemiah, he had this plan because he knew what his needs were. He, he, he wanted this letter for the walls, for the gates, but he was even wiser than that because he said, I also need wood for my own house. You know, sometimes you can think about the needs of this, I need to do that, do that, do that, do that. but while you're over there, how are you going to actually ensure that you're safe, secure? That you actually have a home. Because if you're not nurtured, you can't nurture anyone else, can you? But he actually asked for, he had a plan, he thought this through. He really thought this through. Nehemiah 2 verse 11 to 12 says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Isn't it interesting that he goes out with a couple of people and he actually knows in that four months there's actually been more than a burden more of a dependency on God there's also been a plan that's been formalized internally and he goes out with a few people out to go check out the walls check out the gates go around there and he knows what the plan is but he hasn't articulated it as yet. That's what intrigues me about leaders. That's why I like following leaders. You know, they may feel they may sound crazy at times, but I've always got this thing. I wonder what he's up to. There's always this intrigue. It's like, what is going on? It's almost like like they, they intrigue me enough to so follow them. Because I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. He's mad. He's absolutely nuts. But what if he's actually onto something? It's like, I had a senior pastor like that. His name's Phil brilliant communicator but he would like have ideas that was just like that's the stupidest thing but people were just intrigued because it wasn't about him it was actually about reaching the city of perth it was actually about bringing unity in the churches it was actually (laughs) we used to have this cry back in the day a church for people who don't like church crazy i remember one sunday one Sunday, he's not here so I can say this. I remember one Sunday, and um, he's talking about this, this shift and what he wants to see in this church. And he's talking about just how we want to love the broken and embrace the broken. And, and he's doing this great message and all that. And then, and then he calls up these random people who he had planted in the service to come up, bikey with tattoos, so on, and was like dressed up really bad and, and all that. And he fully got the church right. Just oh. and he starts interviewing them. That's crazy. Well, what would you guys do if I did that? What would you do? <laughs> it's crazy. But it's actually about that. Le- There's something in the heart. There's something in the heart. I I, th- I I I actually think that when it comes to this area, that. It's not going to be one church that gets the job done. It's going to be every church that gets the job done. I have this picture, if you want to know what's in my heart. I have this kind of picture about every 10 minutes away, there's a church presence. Just 10 minutes. You know, instead of like sort of saying, well, let's go and do something overseas, or let's go do something in another suburb. So that's why I say, okay, something like Joel Street, Trevor and I have gone a couple of times to that shopping centre in Camelo around there. What's it called? Is it Champion Lake Shopping Centre? Where that where that with that tab where that young guy got smashed the other day? Really dark area. That needs a church presence. I was over in Kelmscott, that needs a church presence. I was in Beckenham yesterday having brekkie with the family. That needs a church presence. But can you imagine just pockets of church presence just ten minutes from each other? And if you were able to take an air shot view and you had a map and you just saw these little dots, you would actually be able to see that the strength is not necessarily in having like thousands of people coming on a Sunday, but the strength is actually in the number of church presences, whatever they look like, who carry the same heart, who carry the same spirit, and actually have the same... Like that, that, is power, that is a powerful picture. And that's why I say we need to go out so God will shape our heart. Because whether or not, if I'm here or not, this vision is not dependent on me. Okay? It's not dependent on me. This church is not dependent on me. I know that for a moment God has allowed me to hold it. And I hold it very lightly. Very, very lightly. Because I know that at some stage I will pass it on to someone else. And the church will continue. But while we're here in this moment, I just kind of figure we might as well have the best shot that we possibly can. What's the reason why we're doing Nehemiah? Because the walls are broken and the gates are burnt. And I am praying that God is putting a burden on this church. I want to show you something about the test of a burden. Okay? The test of a burden. And it's found... In verse 12, I set out during the night with others. I had not told them what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. That's the test right there of a burden. I had not told them what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem has not set out say, you know what, I'm going to do this for me. Mm-mm. I'm going to do this. God's put something in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I wonder if we're in that moment, in that place, where we could actually articulate that God has put something in our heart to do for... You can fill in the blank. Because as a church, we're positioned in the city of Armadale. But God may have put something in your heart to do for somewhere else. And that's fine. Because like I said, only God can carry every burden, but he will give each and every one of us different burdens. And our discipline in actually doing that is to make sure if we hear something, if we get a prick or something, it's not like, okay, I'm ready to go. You'll stuff it up. No, it's ready, set, go and that takes time that takes time many people have come into this church and have talked to me about this church and um and um i've said over and over again you know when it comes to church church is a long-term project you see churches are just start and they go like that boom you think oh wow look at that church it's amazing Woohoo! I think it was last year we had um, some pastor come into um, Perth. Last year or the year before, the fastest growing church in Australia. And everyone's going what's your secret? What are you doing? What's your secret? It's just bang! Campuses, different cities, poof! That's not necessarily everyone's story. But church is a long term project. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. A sower went and sowed some seed. The kingdom of God is sown. And it takes time. And it takes time. But if no one's going to go sow, if no one, like, it won't happen. So a God-given burden is never about the person. If God's put something on your heart and you need to test it, is this ambition or is this burden? And that is a really, really, really confronting question. Is this actually about me? Really? Is this really about me? And allow God to search our heart in that. And when we come to a point, say, like, no, this is actually, this is God given burden. This is not an ambition. This is a this is a burden. It's God gives us a burden to serve the plight of others. And this is why it needs to be a burden, because a burden will cost you more than you think. It will become increasingly inconvenient you're given a burden, you will soon understand and realize that prayer is the greatest asset that you have. It is prayer, nothing else. It is prayer. And we will understand that having a God-given burden is the mechanism through which kingdom work has always been done. And that's what we learn from chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Ready, set, go.